Part two of Chapter four of Little Eve Edgerton. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Little Eve Edgerton by Eleanor Hallowell Abbott. Part two of Chapter four. For five minutes by the little traveling clock she heard him pacing monotonously up and down, up and down. Then very softly at last she summoned him back to her. Father, she whispered, I think there's someone knocking at the outside door. What? called Edgerton. Incredulously he came back through his daughter's room and crossing over to the hall door yanked it open abruptly on the intruder. "'Why, good afternoon,' grinned Barton, above the extravagantly large and languorous bunch of pale lavender orchids that he clutched in his hand. "'Good afternoon,' said Edgerton, without enthusiasm. "'Er, orchids,' persisted Barton, still grinningly. Across the unfriendly hunch of the older man's shoulder he caught a disquieting glimpse of a girl's unduly speculative eyes. In sudden impulsive league with her against this, their apparent common enemy— age he thrust the orchids into the older man's astonished hands for me questioned edgerton icily why yes certainly beamed barton orchids you know hot-house orchids he explained painstakingly so i judged admitted edgerton with extreme distaste he began to untie the soft flimsy lavender ribbon that encompassed them in their native state you know he confided one very seldom finds them growing with sashes on them from her nest of cushions across the room little eve edgerton loomed up suddenly into definite prominence what did you bring me mr barton she asked why eve cried her father why eve you astonish me why i'm surprised at you why what do you mean the girl sagged back into her cushions oh father she faltered don't you know anything that was just a small talk with perfunctory courtesy edgerton turned to young barton pray be seated he said take take a chair it was the chair close to little eve edgerton that barton took how do you do miss edgerton he ventured how do you do mr barton said little eve edgerton from the splashy washstand somewhere beyond them, they heard Edgerton fussing with the orchids and mumbling vague Latin imprecations or endearments over them. A trifle surreptitiously, Barton smiled at Eve. A trifle surreptitiously, Eve smiled back at Barton. In this perfectly amiable exchange of smiles, the girl reached up suddenly to the sides of her head. Is my, is my bandage on straight? she asked wordly. "'Why, no,' admitted Barton. "'It ought not to be, ought it?' Again, for no special reason whatsoever, they both smiled. "'Oh, I say,' stammered Barton, "'how you can dance!' Across the girl's olive cheeks, her heavy eyelashes shadowed down like a fringe of black ferns. "'Yes, how I can dance,' she murmured almost inaudibly. "'Why didn't you let anybody know?' demanded Barton. "'Yes, why didn't I let anybody know?' repeated the girl in an utter panic of bashfulness. "'Oh, I say,' whispered Parton, "'won't you even look at me?' Mechanically the girl opened her eyes and stared at him fixedly until his own eyes fell. 
Eve, called her father sharply from the next room, where in creation is my data concerning North American orchids? In my steamer trunk, began the girl, on the left-hand side, tucked in between your riding boots and my best hat. Oh, called her father. Barton edged forward in his chair and touched the girl's brown, boyish little hand. Really, Miss Eve, he stammered, I'm, I'm awfully sorry you got hurt. Truly I am. Truly it made me feel awfully squeamish. Really I've been thinking a lot about you these last few days. Honestly I have. Never in all my life did I ever carry anyone as little and hurt as you were. It sort of haunts me, I tell you. Isn't there something I could do for you? Something you could do for me? said little Eve Edgerton, staring. Then again the heavy lashes came shadowing down across her cheeks. I haven't had any very great luck, she said, in finding you ready to do things for me. What? gasped Barton. The big eyes lifted and fell again. There was the attic, she whispered a bit huskily. You wouldn't rent me your attic. Oh, but I say, grinned Barton, some real thing, I mean. Couldn't I... "'Couldn't I read aloud to you?' he articulated quite distinctly as Edgerton came rustling back into the room with his arms full of papers. "'Read aloud?' jibbed Edgerton across the top of his spectacles. "'It's a daring man in this unexpurgated day and generation who offers to read aloud to a lady.' "'He might read me my geology notes,' suggested little Eve Edgerton blandly. "'Your geology notes?' hooted her father." What's this? Some more of your new-fangled small talk? Your geology notes. Still chuckling mirthlessly, he strode over to the big table by the window, and, spreading out his orchid data over every conceivable inch of space, settled himself down serenely to compare one flower of mystery with another. Furtively for a moment, Barton sat studying the gaunt, graceful figure, then quite impulsively he turned back to little eve edgerton's scowling face nevertheless miss eve he grinned i should be perfectly delighted to read your geology notes to you where are they here droned little eve edgerton slapping listlessly at the loose pile of pages beside her conscientiously barton reached out and gathered the flimsy papers into one trim handful where shall i begin he asked it doesn't matter murmured little eve edgerton what said barton nervously he began to fumble through the pages is there any beginning he demanded no moped little eve edgerton nor any end he insisted nor any middle no sighed little eve edgerton helplessly barton plunged into the unhappy task before him on page nine there were perhaps the fewest blots he decided to begin there Paleontologically, the first sentence smote him. Paleontologically, the periods are characterized by absence of the large marine saurians, dinosaurs and pterosaurs. Eh? gasped Barton. Why, of course, called Edgerton a bit impatiently from the window. Laboriously, Barton went back and reread the phrase to himself. Oh, oh, yes, he conceded lamely. Paleontologically, he began all over again. Oh, dear, no, he interrupted himself. I was farther along than that. Absence of marine saurians. Oh, yes, absence of marine saurians, he resumed glibly. Dinosaurs and pterosaurs, 
so abundant in the in the Cretaceous of Ammonites and Belemnites, he persisted heroically. Hesitatingly, stumblingly, without a glimmer of understanding, his bewildered mind worried on and on, its entire mental energy concentrated on the single purpose of trying to pronounce the awful words. Of Rudists, Inocerami, Tri... Trigonias, the horrible paragraph tortured on, by the marked reduction in the brachiopods compared with the now richly developed gastropods and and sinupalliate uh, lamelli branches, it writhed and twisted before his dizzy eyes. Every sentence was a struggle. More than one of the words he was forced to spell aloud just out of sheer self-defense and always against Eve Edgerton's little intermittent nod of encouragement, was balanced that hateful sniffing sound of surprise and contempt from the orchid table in the window. Despairingly he skipped a few lines to the next unfamiliar words that met his eye. The Neozoic flora, he read, consists mainly of, of angio, angiosper, Still smiling, but distinctly wan around the edges of the smile, he slammed the handful of papers down on his knees. "'If it really doesn't make any difference where we begin, Miss Eve,' he said, "'for heaven's sake, let's begin somewhere else.' "'Oh, all right,' crooned little Eve Edgerton. Expeditiously, Barton turned to another page, and another. Wryly, he tasted strange sentence after strange sentence. Then suddenly his whole wonderful face wreathed itself in smiles again. Three superfamilies of turtles, he began joyously. Turtles, ha, I know turtles, he proceeded with real triumph. Why, that's the first word I've recognized in all this, this, er, uh, this what I've been reading. Sure I know turtles, he reiterated with increasing conviction. Why, sure, those, those slow-crawling, box-like affairs that live in the mud and are used for soup and, uh, er, uh, combs, he continued blithely. The very same, nodded little Eve Edgerton soberly. Oh, lordy, groaned her father from the window. Oh, this is going to be lots better, beamed Barton, now that I know what it's all about. For goodness sake, growled Edgerton from his table, how do you people think I'm going to do any work with all this jabbering going on? Hesitatingly for a moment, Barton glanced back over his shoulder at Edgerton, and then turned round again to probe Eve's preferences in the matter. As sluggishly determinate as two black turtles trailing along a white sand beach, her great dark eyes in her little pale face seemed headed suddenly toward some far-away idea. "'Oh, go right on reading, Mr. Barton,' nodded little Eve Edgerton. Three superfamilies of turtles,' began Barton all over again. Three superfamilies of turtles, the... the... Amphichilidia, the Cryptodira, and the Tri, the Tri, the T R I O N Y C H O I D E A, he spelled out laboriously. With a vicious jerk of his chair, Edgerton snatched up his papers and his orchids and started for the door. When you people get all through this nonsense, he announced, maybe you'll be kind enough to let me know. I shall be in the writing room.
With satirical courtesy he bowed first to Eve, then to Barton, dallied an instant on the threshold to repeat both vows, and went out, slamming the door behind him. "'A nervous man, isn't he?' suggested Barton. Bravely, little Eve Edgerton considered thought. Trionochiodia. She prompted quite irrelevantly. Oh, yes, of course, conceded Barton. But do you mind if I smoke? No, I don't mind if you smoke, sing-songed the girl. With a palpable sigh of relief, Barton lighted a cigarette. You're nice, he said. I like you. Conscientiously, then, he resumed his reading. No? Pleurodera have yet been found, he began. Yes, isn't that too bad, sighed little Eve Edgerton. It doesn't matter personally to me, admitted Barton. Hastily he moved on to the next sentence. The Amphichilidea are known there by only the genus Baena, he read. Two described species, B. Undata and B. Arenosa, to which was added B. Herbrachia and B. Ponderosa, Petulantly, he slammed the whole handful of papers to the floor. Eve, he stammered, I can't stand it. I tell you, I just can't stand it. Take my attic if you want to, or my cellar, or my garage, or anything else of mine in the world that you have any fancy for. But for heaven's sake... With extraordinarily dilated eyes, Eve Edgerton stared out at him from her white pillows. Why? Why, if it makes you feel like that, just to read it, she reproached him mournfully. How do you suppose it makes me feel to have to write it? All you have to do is to read it, she said. But I, I have to write it. But why do you have to write it? gasped Barton. Languidly, her heavy lashes shadowed down across her cheeks again. It's for the British consul at Nankonono, she said. It's some notes he asked me to make for him in London this last spring. "'But for mercy's sake, do you like to write things like that?' insisted Barton. "'Oh, no,' drawled little Eve Edgerton. "'But, of course, if I marry him,' she confided without the slightest flicker of emotion. "'It's what I'll have to write all the rest of my life.' "'But,' stammered Barton, "'for mercy's sake, do you want to marry him?' he asked quite bluntly. "'Oh, no,' drawled little Eve Edgerton. Impatiently, Barton threw away his half-smoked cigarette and lighted a fresh one. Then why, he demanded. Oh, it's something father invented, said little Eve Edgerton. Altogether, emphatically, Barton pushed back his chair. Well, I call it a shame, he said, for a nice life little girl like you to be packed off like so much baggage to marry some great gray-bearded clout who hasn't got an idea in his head except... except... Squintingly, he stared down at the scattered sheets on the floor. Except Amphichelidia, he asserted with some feeling. Yes, isn't it? sighed little Eve Edgerton. For heaven's sake, said Barton, where is Nonconono? Nonconono, whispered little Eve Edgerton. Where is it? Why, it's an island, in an ocean, you know, rather a hot green island, in rather a hot blue-green ocean. "'Lots of green palms, you know, and rank, rough green grass, and green bugs, and green butterflies, and green snakes, and a great crawling, crunching collar of white sand and hermit crabs all around it. "'And then just a long, unbroken line of turquoise-colored waves, and then more turquoise-colored waves, and then 
more turquoise-colored waves, and then more turquoise-colored waves, and then, and then, and then what? worried Barton. With a vaguely astonished lift of the eyebrows, little Eve Edgerton met both question and questioner perfectly squarely. Why, then, more turquoise-colored waves, of course, chanted little Eve Edgerton. It sounds rotten to me, confided Barton. It is, said little Eve Edgerton. And, oh, I forgot to tell you, John Albertson is sort of green, too. Geologists are up to be, don't you think so? I never saw one, admitted Barton without shame. If you'd like me to, said Eve, I'll show you how the turquoise-colored waves sound when they strike the hermit crabs. Do, urged Barton. Listlessly, the girl pushed back into her pillow, slid down a little farther into her blankets, and closed her eyes. Mm, she began. After a while, of course, I think you might stop, suggested Barton a bit creepishly. Again the big eyes opened at him with distinct surprise. Why, why, said Eve Edgerton, it never stops. Oh, I say, frowned Barton, I do feel awfully badly about your going off to a place like that to leave. Really, he stammered. We're going Thursday, said little Eve Edgerton. Thursday, cried Barton. For some inexplainable reason, the whole idea struck him suddenly as offensive, distinctly offensive, as if fate, the impatient waiter, had snatched away a yet untasted plate. Why, why, Eve, he protested, why, we're only just beginning to get acquainted. Yes, I know it, mused little Eve Edgerton. Why, if we'd have had half a chance, began Barton, and then didn't know at all how to finish it. "'Why, you're so plucky, and so odd, and so interesting,' he began all over again. "'Oh, of course I'm an awful duffer and all that. "'But if we'd had half a chance, I say, "'you and I would have been great pals in another fortnight.' "'Even so,' murmured little Eve Edgerton, "'there are yet fifty-two hours before I go.' "'What are fifty-two hours?' laughed Barton. Listlessly, like a wilting flower, little Eve Edgerton slid down a trifle farther into her pillows. If you'd have an early supper, she whispered, and then come right up here afterward, why, there would be two or three hours. And then tomorrow, if you get up quite early, there would be a long, long morning, and we could get acquainted some, she insisted. Why, Eve, said Barton, do you really mean that you would like to be friends with me? Yes, I do nodded the crown of the white-bandaged head. "'But I'm so stupid,' confided Barton with astonishing humility. "'All these botany things, and geology, and—' "'Yes, I know it,' mumbled little Eve Edgerton. "'That's what makes you so restful.' "'What?' queried Barton a bit sharply. Then very absent-mindedly for a moment he sat staring off into space through a gray pungent haze of cigarette smoke. "'Eve!' he ventured at last. What? mumbled little Eve Edgerton. Nothing, said Barton. Mr. Jim Barton, ventured Eve. What? asked Barton. Nothing, mumbled little Eve Edgerton. Out of some emotional or purely social tensities of life, it seems rather that time strikes the clock 
than that anything so small as a clock should dare strike the time. One, two, three, four, five, winced the poor little frightened traveling clock on the mantelpiece. Then, quite abruptly, little Eve Edgerton emerged from her cozy cushions, sitting bolt upright like a doughty little warrior. Mr. Jim Barton, said little Eve Edgerton, if I stayed here two weeks longer, I know you'd like me. I know it. I just know it. Quizzically, for an instant, as if to accumulate further courage, she cocked her little head on one side and stared blankly into Barton's astonished eyes. But you see, I'm not going to be here two weeks, she resumed hurriedly. Again the little head cocked appealingly to one side. You, you wouldn't be willing to take my word for it, would you? And like me now? Why, why, what do you mean? stammered Barton. What do I mean? quizzed little Eve Edgerton. Why, I mean that just once before I go off to Nonconono, I'd like to be attractive. Attractive, stammered Barton helplessly. With all the desperate, indomitable frankness of a child, the girl's chin thrust itself forward. I could be attractive, she said. I know. I could. I know I could. If I'd ever let go just the teeniest, tiniest bit, I could have bows, she asserted triumphantly. A thousand bows, she added more explicitly. Only... Only what? laughed Barton. Only one doesn't let go, said little Eve Edgerton. Why not? persisted Barton. Why, you just couldn't with strangers, said little Eve Edgerton. That's the bewitchment of it. The bewitchment puzzled Barton. Nervously, the girl crossed her hands in her lap. She suddenly didn't look like a doughty little soldier any more, but just like a worried little girl. Did you ever read any fairy stories? she asked, with apparent irrelevance. Why, of course, said Barton, millions of them when I was a kid. I read one once, said little Eve Edgerton. It was about a person, a sleeping person, a lady, I mean, who couldn't wake up until a prince kissed her. Well, that was all right, of course, conceded little Eve Edgerton, because, of course, any prince would have been willing to kiss the lady just as a mere matter of accommodation. But suppose, fretted little Eve Edgerton, suppose the bewitchment also ran that no prince would kiss the lady until she had waked up. Now there, said Lily Edgerton, is a situation that I should call completely stalled. But what's all this got to do with you? grinned Barton. Nothing at all to do with me, said Lily Edgerton. It is me. That's just exactly the way I'm fixed. I can't be attractive out loud until someone likes me. But no one, of course, will ever like me until I'm already attractive out loud. So that's why I wondered, she said, if, just as a mere matter of accommodation, you wouldn't be willing to be friends with me now, so that for at least the fifty-two hours that remain, I could be released from my most unhappy enchantment. Astonishingly, across that frank, perfectly outspoken little face, the frightened eyelashes came flickering suddenly down. Because, she whispered little Eve Edgerton, because... You see, I happen to like you already. Oh, fine, smiled Barton. Fine, fine. Abruptly the word broke in his throat. What? he cried. His hand, the steadiest hand among all his chums, began to shake like an aspen. What? he cried. 
His heart, the steadiest heart among all his chums, began to pitch and lurch in his breast. Why, Eve! Eve, he stammered, you don't mean you like me like that? Yes, I do, nodded the little white-capped head. There was much shyness of flesh in the statement, but not a flicker of spiritual self-consciousness or fear. But, Eve, protested Barton. Already he felt the goose flesh rising on his arms. Once before a girl had told him that she liked him, in the middle of a silly summer flirtation it had been, and the scene had been mawkish, awful, a mess of tears and kisses and endless recriminations. But this girl? Before the utter simplicity of this girl's statement, the unruffled dignity, the mere acknowledgment, as it were, of an interesting historical fact, all his trifling, preconceived ideas went tumbling down before his eyes like a flimsy house of cards. Pang after pang of regret for the girl, of regret for himself, went surging hotly through him. Oh, but Eve, he began all over again, his voice raw with misery. Why, there's nothing to make a fuss about, drawled little Eve Edgerton. You've probably liked a thousand people, but I, you see, I've never had the fun of liking anyone before. Fun, tortured Barton. Yes, that's just it. If you'd ever had the fun of liking anything, it wouldn't seem half so brutal. Now, brutal, mused little Eve Edgerton. Oh, really, Mr. Jim Barton, I assure you, there's nothing brutal at all in my liking for you. With a gasp of despair, Barton stumbled across the rug to the bed, and with a shaky hand thrust under Eve Edgerton's chin, turned her little face bluntly up to him to tell her how proud he felt, but to tell her how sorry he was, but... And as he turned that little face up to his, inconceivably, incomprehensively, to his utter consternation and rout, he saw that it was a stranger's little face that he held. Gone was the sullen frown, the indifferent glance, the bitter smile, and in that sudden amazing, wild sweet transfiguration of brow, eyes, mouth, that met his astonished eyes, he felt his whole mean, supercilious world slip out from under his feet. And just as precipitously, just as inexplainably, as ten days before he had seen a great light that had knocked all consciousness out of him, he experienced now a second great light that knocked him back into the first full consciousness that he had ever known. Why, Eve, he stammered, why, you mischief, why, you little cheeky darling, why, my own darn little storybook girl, and gathered her into his arms. From the farther side of the room the sound of a creaking board smote almost instantly upon their ears. Any time that you people want me, suggested Edgerton's icy voice, I am standing here, in about the middle of the floor. With a jerk of dismay, Barton wheeled around to face him, but it was Lily Edgerton herself who found her tongue first. Oh, father, dear, I have been perfectly wise, she hastened to assure him. Almost at once, father, I told him that I liked him, so that if he really were the dreadful kind of young man you were warning me about, he would eliminate himself from my horizon, immediately in his wicked pursuit of some other lady. Oh, he did run, father, she confessed in the first red blush of her life. Oh, he did run, father, but it was almost directly toward me. Eh? snapped Edgerton. Then, in a divine effrontery, 
half impudence and half humility, Barton stepped out into the middle of the room and proffered his strong, firm young hand to the older man. You told me, he grinned, to rummage around until I discovered a real treasure. Well, I didn't have to do it. It was the treasure, it seems, who discovered me. Then suddenly into his fine young eyes flared up the first glint of his newborn soul. "'Your daughter, sir,' said Barton, "'is the most beautiful woman in the world. "'As you suggested to me, "'I have found out what she is interested in. "'She is interested in me.'" End of Part 2, Chapter 4 End of Little Eve Edgerton